stay calm, don't panic. You got this. Hey guys, welcome back to the last episode of season two, believe it or not. Probably. Wow, I can't believe we're here. I know, it's the second time I've gotten to say this is the last episode of this season. I know. Does that blow your mind? That, that did. <laughs> it really did, yeah. Mind is blown. <laughs> Uh, but we also say that with a, just a tremendous feeling of gratitude that you know we've gotten to do this for as long as we have and hope to continue to do this and offer content to uh, those who help teenagers. And so this week, we got to speak with Dr. Beth Robinson from Lubbock Christian University, who coincidentally is our sponsor. Yes. <laughs> that really wasn't the plan but <laughs> on, on this. But one of the reasons we contacted Dr. Robinson uh she was one of my uh, professors in my master's work at Lubbock Christian, and um, she's written some books that were really influential to me as I've worked with teenagers, and we'll link some of those on the on the uh, mm-hmm. show page as well as some of the work she's done. But Dr. Robinson uh, has uh, just a really down-to-earth approach to talking about sex and sexuality and uh, really helps people have those conversations in a healthier way. Right. So we're really excited for you to get to hear from her. Um, There are some things that she talks about that I was like, oh man, what kind of world are we (laughs) bringing our kids up in? Um, But she really gives you things that you can take and use right now. Mm -hmm, Um, Absolutely. Conversation starters, questions. Um, And so this is one that you're not going to want to miss from a perspective of it can really change the way that you talk to your kids, talk to teenagers. This one doesn't even only apply to teenagers, really. If Mm -hmm. you have younger kids, you can start having these conversations now. Absolutely. And we, uh, you know, speaking of love at Christian University, we, uh, you know, wrapping our season up are so thankful for their support and uh, helping this podcast be produced week after week. So Lubbock Christian, thank you so much for being a part of this for two seasons now. Uh, check more, check out more about Lubbock Christian uh, with the links on our page and also uh, at the end uh, of this interview as well. So uh, once again, thank you for listening and check out this interview with Dr. Beth Robinson. Thanks so much for spending your time with us for uh, a few minutes, and we worked hard to get this interview, and then Skype failed us, and now, <laughs> now we now we got it figured out. So, uh, we're here to talk to to Beth about uh, teenage sexuality and about some of the issues that surround that. And uh, if you've listened to our podcast before, we're trying to help anyone who helps a teenager, and uh, Beth is. Uh, has dedicated all of her career to doing that. And so uh, we're just really glad to have her here. So best to start with, uh, when it comes to talking about teenagers and sexuality, um, what are some of the most helpful ways we can have these discussions? I think the most helpful thing is to try to integrate things that are happening in the day-to-day life of a teenager. I mean, if you come in as a parent or a minister or somebody else and all of a sudden you just want to talk about some component of sexuality, your kids are probably going to be freaked out if you haven't done that for the last 10, 12, 15 years. And so using things that are happening with their friends or using things that happen in the media are very, very helpful. And the other thing I would say to parents is you really don't want to use a whole lot of words in talking about sexuality with your kids 
Hmm. Instead, you want to hear from them. So let's say that you see a commercial on TV or an ad for a movie that has some sexual component in it. A great way to start the conversation is just to ask your kid, hey, what do you think about what we just saw? Hmm. And let your kids start the conversation and start talking. And you be real careful not to tell them they're wrong. But just listen through what they have to say. Ask questions. Be interested in them like you would be interested in talking to a friend. And then, after you've heard their perspective or what they think, ask them what they believe you think about the same situation. Hmm. The purpose of asking them what you think is to clarify whether they understand what your values are about sexuality. And then the third question might be, what do you think the Bible teaches about it or what do you think God thinks about it? Mm -hmm. So it's a three-question conversation. What do you think about it? What do you think I think about it? And what do you think God thinks about it? Hmm. And you have the chance as a parent when... They, when children are responding to you about what you think about it, to clarify what you think, and same thing about what do you think God thinks about it. I would say to parents, though, you get five sentences to clarify that. That's it, five sentences. And then the conversation's over. Unless your kid starts to ask you questions. And if they start asking you questions, you have done an amazing job. Yeah. So the five, question, the, the, the five questions you're saying that parent, parents, you have five or five sentences that you can say to your teenager. Yes. So, and I know this can change from child to child, but when does a teenager generally or kid generally get curious about sex? Oh, if they're a youngest child and mom gets pregnant when they're about three. Hmm. And the funny thing is we don't realize that we're doing sex education with our kids from birth forward. But particularly by the time that kids start asking questions like where do babies come from? Um, And with our context now having so much sexuality culturally and in the media, our kids are asking questions about sexuality and getting curious at much younger ages. And often we're shutting down those conversations before they even begin because we're shocked when a kid who is five, six, or seven hears something at school and comes home and asks what it means. And we just shut down that conversation rather than opening it up and saying, Where did you hear that? This is what it means. And being calm and sharing the information like we would any other information with our kids. We want our children to be knowledgeable about sexuality. Talking about sex does not make kids want to have sex more. In fact, the research shows us the better our conversations are with our kids, the less likely they are to engage in sexual activity. Hmm. So what kind of message does it send to a kid whenever a parent shuts down that conversation or acts weird about the question? Uh, it tells your kid uh, that you can't handle it. And kids go to other sources then. I mean, if you shut it down, it's either too terrible to talk about or you don't know enough about it to talk about it. And so we would much rather open that up and the parent be the expert rather than shut it down because your kids will go ask the question somewhere else and their source is likely their peers, which is not a very reliable source of information. They often share lots of inaccurate information among friends. Mm-hmm. And I know you talked about like if a mom gets pregnant and then that can bring up questions, but are there other factors that can start this conversation about sex or kind of get teenagers thinking about it? Um, used to be we wanted to think that this conversation started with puberty. 
that when teenagers' bodies started changing, that's when they started talking about it. But anymore, they're starting the conversation way before puberty hits. Um, I feel like most, I used to say most sex education was over by age 13. Then I said it was over by age 11. I'm coming down to almost age nine now in terms of general knowledge because kids are exposed to so much sexual content from their peers in the media and from computer access. We we cannot minimize what they access via um, their different forms of technology. Mm-hmm. I know, like my kindergartner, you know, they just had a presentation at school about safe touch, and you know that, and you know, especially if you're taking some of your classes uh, in my master's work, I just know that was, that was one of the things that kept you know coming through my head. Like this is okay, <laughs> you know, this is this it's good to have these kind of conversations young. I just I, as a parent, I wasn't ready to start having those conversations yet, but you know. I, I really wish every parent would have the safe touch conversation with kids before they went to kindergarten. Yeah. Just for safety. So mm-hmm. that they know boundaries and they know sexual safety. Right, right. So talking a little bit more about when we talk about sex, uh, you kind of talked about this at the beginning, but when is a good time for parents to start talking to their child about sex? Like how is it there an age that you think is too young to start that conversation or what does that look like? I think every one of our children tell us when the right time is because they begin asking questions. And what I always advise parents to do is when your kids ask questions, give them information. If they continue to ask for more detailed explanation, you give them more information. So for instance, if you're talking about mom's pregnant, where does the baby come from? When mom initially says, um, it comes from my tummy. And then most kids at some point that's okay at their age and then they will say well how does it get in your tummy and then you have to explain that when dads and moms love each other they come together and dad has a seed and it it comes into mama and that's how the baby grows they understand that and they quit asking questions but you give them as much information as they ask for at the time If you really have young kids who are curious about intercourse and you actually explain that, lots of times they go, ooh, yuck, I never want to do that. But it takes the mystery out of it. Mm -hmm. It takes the curiosity out of it because we're giving them accurate information. So I can't say there's a particular age. It depends on your child. Your child will ask questions when they're curious. And if you're the parent who will answer those questions – Not only will your child ask you questions, they honestly will come ask you questions for their friends because they will have lots of friends whose parents won't answer questions. (laughs) So you became the source now. (laughs) Yes, you are the source. (laughs) So what what are some of the consequences for waiting too long? Then, you know, if 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 we're talking about, you know, talking early, you know, there's obviously a lot of parents and, you know, I know I know there's a lot of parents that wait way too long. What are the consequences of that? The consequence of that is, as a parent, you lose your influence because your child is being influenced by peers at school or other adults or media or other types of information. And so the biggest consequence is there's a lack of transmission of values between the parent and the child. So as parents, we want to step up to the plate so that our kids understand what our values are. And what would you say um, are the benefits, of a, if a parent's listening, of them having this conversation, not a friend or a peer 
or some other adult, but what are the benefits of the parent actually being the one to initiate this? Obviously, the parent gets to explain what their values are, but I think there's another benefit, which is I think it helps create emotional intimacy in the parent-child relationship when parents are willing to have these conversations and when they're willing to address tough issues and honestly willing to hear their children. Because to have these conversations, if you follow the rules about asking them questions and not lecturing, holding your response to five sentences, you learn a lot about your child and what they believe. And you have the ability to impact that belief system about sexuality and a lot of other areas as well. So if a parent hasn't really talked about sex with their teenager, which my guess is a lot of our listeners might be listening to this and like, oh boy, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm behind here. Um, how do they go about normalizing that conversation now? Like if they feel like they're really far behind, how do they catch up? I would tell them to use the Columbo approach. Um, many of you probably don't remember Columbo. Columbo was a TV detective mm -hmm. who was always kind of looking confused and bumbling around. And so one way the parents can begin to open this up and broach this is to allow their kid to be the expert and begin to ask questions about what you see in the media and what other kids think and those kind of things. But you kind of say, I'm not sure what kids today are thinking. I'm not sure what this means. What do these lyrics in this song mean? What's going on in this movie here? And really, truthfully, ask for their input. Don't be the expert. Let them be the expert. It's okay for you to be the one searching for answers and being the detective looking for answers. And so initiate those conversations again around things that are happening around your child and ask your child to be the expert and explain to you what's happening. So kind of shifting the conversation a little bit, um, kind of looking at statistics and talking to teenagers, pornography usage um, is huge and it's all over pop culture. We um, see it, especially with the internet and phones. Um, how, what are some dangers for teenager, for teenagers that are viewing pornography? The, the biggest danger is it's unrealistic. It objectifies people. It removes relationship from sexuality. And teens don't understand that God created them as a sexual being and that sexuality is intended to create a bond between a man and a woman that is supposed to last a lifetime. We have all kinds of neurological research now on how the biochemistry works to create that attachment, but it's very real. And when you're viewing pornography and you're seeing sex as a commodity, not, a, not an aspect of a relationship, it distorts your view of relationships and sexuality. And kind of going along with this, is there, when teenagers talk about this, is there a difference between them talking about pornography usage and being sexually active? I have seen teens be much more willing to be open in some ways about uh, viewing pornography when they come from Christian homes rather than being sexually active, because I have heard teens kind of view it as a consolation activity. Mm -hmm. At least I'm not being sexually active. So I'm, I'm still a virgin, but I'm watching all this pornography. Um, but the reality is there are biochemical consequences of viewing pornography and it is an addictive activity that changes brain structure and chemistry. So it, it is a dangerous activity for kids. You know, the, the platforms that 
pornography or distributed on have changed, obviously. So where where do where do teenagers, people in general, go to find pornography? Where's where are the where are the main sources that maybe parents aren't thinking about? I would say probably the one that parents don't think about very much is uh, gaming systems. Hmm. Those are all connected. Xbox, so you think your kids are, are up playing an Xbox game and you screened all the games, but they have a Wi-Fi connection on their Xbox so they can access it there. Of course, through their phones, um, any digital device anymore, pretty much. And And I would say we used to keep track of, when it was printed pornography, 90% a printed pornography eventually ended up in the hands of a child 11 years of age or younger. Hmm. So now with it being accessible digitally, I'm sure those numbers are even higher. So that means your children under age 11 are being exposed to pornography. And in fact, some of the decisions about viewing pornography are probably ha- happening in early elementary school years. Wow. How do you think, because Hearing that makes me scared to parent, kind of, <laughs> in, this, in this day and age. Um, but how can parents monitor this or keep an open dialogue about pornography use with their kids when it's happening so young and it's so accessible? I just believe in a very direct approach. I think that as parents, we have to be able to just ask questions. I mean, what are you watching on your phone? Can I see your phone? Let me see what you're doing on Xbox and I've always called it intrusive supervision that we should provide as parents. It's our job to trust but verify. And so we should be checking devices. But in addition to that, we should be checking in with where our kids are and who their friends are and what kind of access they have through their friends and just having an honest discussion and saying, this is why I don't think it's a good idea. And it's been my experience that kids in my own home have been very willing to be honest through the years with me whenever I'm just direct and honest with them and I'm not punishing them and I'm not shaming them. Well, talk about the shame thing is that, that you know, shame comes along with pornography usage and to even talk about it with your parents. I mean, how do you, as a parent, how do you get past that element with your kid if they're feeling ashamed about it and don't want to talk about it or, or hiding from it because of that? How do you get past the shame element of it? Is that just a continued conversation? or? I think it is continued conversation, but I think there's also this really strong message of, I love you and I know you're struggling. Mm-hmm. I'm walking beside you and I love you. And I, my kids hear it a lot in my home um, that, that they are loved. And I think when kids realize that, that you love them and you know they make mistakes, I think they're more willing to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So kind of moving, we've been talking about parents for most of this, um, but what role do schools play with sex education? I wish that schools were more effective in sex education. Um, Lots of times they present information in health and biology, but kids don't tend to connect what they're hearing in school with what's going on with them when they're with a peer. And so the science information we present seems to be pretty ineffective in helping them make good decisions about sexuality. And most of the time schools limit discussion of sexuality to, you know, one or two weeks a year. Mm -hmm. How would you like to see that change, just in your expert opinion? I'm not sure I want the schools to take a bigger role, to be Mm -hmm. honest. I, as a parent, want to be uh, the first source, and Mm -hmm. I would like church to be the second source. Mm -hmm. And I would like to see churches 
uh, be much more willing to discuss sexuality on an ongoing basis. You know, I, I've gone to churches where um, the youth minister will say, you know, we've talked about sex and sexuality, and I think my kids have just had it with it. And then I go in and I kind of start asking questions, and the kids have been lectured to, but they haven't really had conversations. Mm-hmm. I would love for churches to provide venues to have conversations about what God teaches about sexuality. And so how do you think you're talking about this conversation? How can churches do that better? How can they talk about that and have a conversation in a church context? I think we have to be willing to talk about it even from the pulpit. Um, Lots of churches have... uh, one sermon a year that involves sexuality and that's it. I think it's much healthier for us to acknowledge even from the pulpit that sexuality is a component of how God created us and that we are sexual beings and that sexuality is about relationship and connection. And how much do you think it should be talked about? Obviously more than once a year is what I hear you saying, but well, I, I would say in an ideal world, we would talk about it just as much as the media talks about it. So mm-hmm. since it's in the media constantly, I guess my answer would be constantly. <laughs> that would be a different kind of church to go to. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> it really it would. would be. But if you think about what our teenagers and young adults are struggling with, and it's what the media is presenting all the time, we're, we've got as a church community as well, be willing to have those conversations on a constant basis. Okay. All right. So we're going to do our last two questions with you here. Um, we were going to do our last question, but it was, you kind of covered it and we don't want to go repetitive on you. Um, so as we wrap up this interview, um, we always ask our guests kind of two questions. So the first thing is what's one thing you would want a teenager to hear uh, from what you talked about today? Of everything you talked about. I would want them to hear uh, all this sexual stuff is really awesome and cool. And God knows about sex. He created it mm-hmm. and he gave, a, gave us great guidance for it. There's no reason to be shame, shameful or embarrassed about it. Um, God created you to be a sexual being. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is, what do you think is the most important thing for a parent, a teacher, a youth minister, or a helper of any kind to hear from our interview today? Our kids are getting all kinds of messages about sexuality from their peers, from media, from other adults that we may or may not know. We cannot afford to be silent any longer about sexuality. We have to be willing to engage in conversations with our kids about sexuality. This is the university for us for the student scholars, for the tenacious ones who seek to discover new depths in their field, for the pioneers in math, theology, nursing, and education. This is the university for those seeking truth in every discipline. This is the university for you. Lubbock Christian University. All right, Carly, so, I've got little kids, and as we went through this interview, um, 
I think you even mentioned the parenting thing. <laughs> it's <laughs> sounding daunting. scary. It sounds very scary. Yeah. And, and it does because, uh, you know, I think I said in the intro, I, I took classes with Dr. Robinson and she pointed us towards lots of material that, you know, the conversation about sex and sexuality starts at the first question or the first curiosity mm-hmm. uh, of children. And that's a little spooky to think about. But I, but I will say that, you know, having a, a kindergartner now, uh, those opportunities, and I choose to call them opportunities to talk about sexuality are making themselves known in small ways and questions that he asks and the curiosities he has. And so, you know, just as a parent having that open posture of, yeah, we'll talk about this and we're not going to be ashamed of it. It's not going to be taboo, mm-hmm. um, was really the, one of the big things I've always gotten from, from Beth, uh, but I think was really reinforced in this interview. Right. And I love how she started off at the very beginning. I mean, she started off strong mm-hmm. um, about not using a whole lot of words that you need to listen. Mm-hmm. And I think as adults, it's easy when we're talking about sexuality, especially a topic that makes us uncomfortable is it's easy to just talk, talk, talk and be like, just don't say anything. Let me get this out and then we can move on. Mm-hmm. And that's not helpful for a teenager. They get those glazed eyes they have horror stories of the sex talk and Mm -hmm. different restaurants or different activities that were ruined forever because that's where their dad decided to (laughs) have that conversation (laughs) with them and so i love the questions that she brings up um i'll repeat them because i think they're worth repeating Mm -hmm. of what do you think about what you just saw and what do you think i think about it and then what do you think god thinks about it and that's an easy way to introduce this conversation into everyday life if Mm -hmm. you're watching a commercial what do you think about that? And you can start that off when they're little and they might not even really realize what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but making that a part of just a habit of we're going to talk about it and it's okay. And then when something comes up, you can come and talk to me about it because we've already started this conversation. Well, that second question of what do you think I think about it is a powerful question because it, it's it's attacking all the different assumptions because you as a parent might think that they think you have a certain view on it, but the way they answer might be completely different. Like I think they might say, I don't think you think anything about it or you think that that's dirty or you think that that's bad or you love it. (laughs) Who knows? You know, (laughs) I mean, you know, you never know what they're going to say on that, but what a great question to, um, to reveal things and to kind of break down those barriers in that relationship. And then obviously asking what, what do you think God thinks about this? Um, I think helps you as a parent understand the work that you need to do mm. in that area um, of helping kids understand, you know, what, what, what does God think about sexuality? What was it, was it talk? What's he, has he talk about in the Bible? Um, how should we think about those things? Exactly. And I also thought her rule of you get five sentences to clarify and then the conversation's over mm-hmm. um, whether or not you keep talking and they're not listening anymore or just the conversation doesn't isn't beneficial after that but keeping that in mind of don't over talk say what you need to say but ask questions and let them talk and then if they ask you a question then you can go back and forth we talk about this in our support groups all the time of ask a question if they ask you to clarify then it can become a discussion and a conversation but kind of avoid the tendency to lecture or to over talk just because you're uncomfortable yeah, and I think if you have uh, a budget of words of or budget of sentences of five um, that you 
then you're kind of forced to make the best use of those sentences <laughs> mm-hmm. and know what you're going to say, kind of what, you know, uh, what you think so you can keep it brief and keep it effective as well. Yeah. Something else that I like that she said is um, only give them as much information as they ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, especially this is good with little kids. And I think I've had this conversation with my mom about how you have this conversation with kids of when they ask, don't give them when they're three details about sex and how it happens and what they should and shouldn't do and protect, they don't need to know that mm-hmm. if they're asking where a baby comes from. Answer it basic. If they ask questions, then you can continue that conversation. But there's something also to even teenagers when they start to ask you questions, don't overload them with adult problems. Let them ask questions and keep that conversation going. And if you answer that in a way that's not overwhelming, they'll continue to come back and ask questions. Absolutely. One of the things that I thought was really important and I, you know, I made sure to star this in my notes of, you know, I really want to make sure we ask this because if you are a parent who has just not done a very good job at this Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden you have a teenager who you know, you know, they're thinking about this stuff and asking about this stuff and you, and you feel behind. How do you catch up? Um, and part of that is, you know, working with families and, and church settings, uh, and even from my own family of origin and, you know, people that I know who have these amazing families, most families just aren't good at talking about this. Even the ones that seem to do the family and parenting thing really well still just kind of stink at this. Um, How do you catch up? And she talked about that Columbo approach of just kind of being uh, the bumbling detective Mm -hmm. of, you know, just start to ask, just kind of coming at it as I I really don't know. And, and that kind of, that starts your attitude with humility um, uh, on one hand, but also um, letting the the teenagers be the experts of this is what we know already, which might not be correct. You know, might be, ill-informed, but you asking questions, you being the investigator, so to speak, uh, I think is a great way to get caught up and start that conversation. Mm -hmm, Because I think what we're finding, and I remember this from my days as a teenager and even more as we continue to have conversations, they probably are searching whether they're asking you or not or whether Mm -hmm. you're talking about it or not. Um, I know when I was a teenager, Urban Dictionary was a thing, if, which is, it's a horrible source <laughs> because anyone can get on there and put whatever they, whatever definition they think it is. And so they're getting information that isn't accurate, that is all over the place. They're getting it from peers who maybe heard something from an older sibling or saw it on a website. And so being able to ask those questions and then maybe if they are the expert and tell you about it and you're realizing, oh, they're way off. That's where you can ask more questions of, do you think that's really what that means? Mm-hmm. And where did you hear that from? What do you think I think about that? And then you can go back to those three questions that Beth was talking about easily and not say, well, you're wrong and cut them off and what work that they've tried to do because they're not getting it from home. But you can continue to have conversation um, because they're probably not getting accurate information where they're looking. Right. You know, one of the families I think about back in my days of ministry um, that you know, they have now they have all adult children, but most of their kids went through uh, my youth group was, and the mom told me this, she goes, nothing's off limits in our family. And on one hand, they were a little wheels off, <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, they're some of the most well-adjusted adult children that I know who mm. 
they all genuinely love each other and care for each other. And sex was one of those topics that, you know, they would just come out and talk about it. Like, and there was no shame. There was no, like, this is how this is. And I always appreciated that family because that's the stance that they took with their kids that we're not going to be ashamed of what we talk about. Um, we're going to all be open books on this. And, and, um, and I don't think it it came from a place of oversharing like we talked about, but Mm -hmm. I I do think it came from a place of we're not, um, you know, this is going to be a a family where you're not going to be ashamed to ask questions. And, um, like Beth was talking about, you know, they became the family where they knew it was safe. You know, their friends knew they were safe to talk (laughs) to these parents. And I thought that was a really cool thing as well, which that's, one of those things, if you get good at this as a parent, you're going to have to all of a sudden be the parent to all these other kids whose <laughs> parents aren't talking to their kids about sex, which that just comes with it, I guess. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. But I think um, kind of as we wrap up, I think the shame part is also important, especially mm-hmm. in context of sexuality, whether that's pornography or something else that they're doing that they're ashamed of. Um, we've talked about several times on this podcast of being shockproof. And I think that definitely applies here. Mm -hmm. When your kids are asking you questions or admitting things, pornography, or if they're sexually active, or if they're exploring different things, you need to have a conversation, but that includes being shockproof. And I love what Beth said, where she said, I love you and I know you're struggling and I want to help. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be the first response of not that you just need to ignore it and say, you know what, that's totally fine that you're doing that. That's not the right answer either, mm-hmm. but say, I know you, I love you. I know you're struggling. Let's walk through this together. Mm-hmm. What can we do to make this better? Yeah. We, and we use the shockproof thing a lot. And I think it's easy. It's easier to do that with teenagers that aren't your kids. Right. When they are your kids, it, there, there's, there's that level of emotion and there's that le- level of connectivity. Like that's my blood. That's my legacy, so to speak. And, um, but still that doesn't excuse us. You know, we, we, we have to work hard to, um, help our kids know, you know, we are to them everything that they know is an example and kind of the direct. And so if we can be a steady hand, uh, shock proof, um, not bringing down shame, uh, what a great gift we can get to give to our kids when it comes to sexuality and talking about it. Right. And that all just comes back to keeping this conversation open Mm -hmm. to where they feel like, okay, they handled that. Okay. I can come back to them with something else. And that's in most of our conversations, what this is about is how can we have healthy conversations with teenagers where there's not judgment and there's not shame, but they can come and we can have a good relationship. And this is possible. And this is possible mm-hmm. as you know, as we talked to Beth, if, if nothing else, I'm encouraged that these, these conversations can be open. They can be a part of your family life, your family dynamic. And even if you're running late on this, take heart. There, there are ways to catch up, you know, um, it's not too late. It's not too late. Definitely. Don't don't give up just because you haven't started, for sure. Well, this has been a great season two. Yeah, it has been. Um, we're going to do our best to get back for season three with a whole new uh, slate of topics. If there are things that you want to hear about that we have not discussed, which we know there's a ton of things we can still um, talk about, and even subjects that we've delved into that need a lot more exploration, we want to do that. So give us some feedback, some things you want to hear from us, some guests you want us to interview. We'd love to do that. Review uh, us on iTunes. Yeah. Let us know there if there's something you Reviews. want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Leave leave comments in the notes or send us an email. Um, but thanks again for listening. We will see you guys next season. The Don't Panic Podcast is produced by Teen Life and Ricky Lewis. 
Your hosts are Chris Roby and Carly Duke. The intro music you heard today comes from Under the Chandeliers. You can find them on SoundCloud or Spotify, so go take a listen. If you want to check out today's notes and resources, visit our website, don'tpanicpodcast.org. Or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Don't Panic Talk. Thanks for listening, and remember, don't panic. You've got this. Don't panic.